0: Welcome back to free railing your movie watching podcast with me today is uh, my co-host I'll introduce myself after him uh, his name is
1: my name is Matthew his name is and Matthew. this and and this film should be played loud
0: this film should be played loud and my name is uh, Jesse um, and we're talking about I, okay this is this is a weird episode and I, I told this to our, our mutual friend Caroline last night oh and I thought we were recording last night uh, I said, you know, this is weird. We're recording an episode about a movie that I don't think is a movie.
1: Yeah, no, I don't either.
0: And she goes, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I go, we're talking about The Last Waltz. And, I, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's a concert.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, The Last Waltz is... It, it's exactly that. It's a concert. It's, are there, are there uh,
0: any more concerts in the Criterion Collection other than The Last Waltz?
1: Uh, Yes. There are really good ones. There are what better ones than the last waltz for sure. Um, okay, then why did you
0: watch this one? Why was this one the one you made? Me this watched? was your idea, man. No, hey, you gave me a you gave me a list, and this was on the list. And I go,
1: we can watch this one, this one, and this one. I remember one. you mentioning it. That's the reason I put it on the list. That maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. Which I will hold my hand up if that's the case. We don't, we don't even um, fight for this. That's what. The no, is no. Far no there's but there's like the there's like the Monterey Pop box set which is probably on par with i think so i think the Monterey Pop box set is on par with Woodstock as a film mainly because i think the music in Monterey Pop is better than the music of Woodstock what's Monterey pop explain that to me. so Monterey Monterey pop is was a, was a rock festival in the 60s that it like the who were there Jimmy Hendrix was there Otis was there um the Beach Boys were there like it is I think in a lot of ways it is Woodstock with a better lineup
0: okay okay
1: um but so the Monterey pop box set is it's directed by D.A. Pennebaker um There is the complete Monterey Pop Festival and then there's Jimi Hendrix uh, plays Monterey and Shake Otis at Monterey, which is Otis Redding's section of the Monterey. It's like the complete sections of both of those. And those are kind of, I think they are historical, not just in terms of the figures that are there, but kind of. What they, what they, what those performances sort of mean in their respective genres, um, and I mean, even if you wanted to bring, uh, like, like the racial differences of the performers versus the audience, yeah, uh, at the time because this the, I mean, Otis writing Jimi Hendrix two of the greatest performers ever, regardless, but it's also. Two black men fronting bands of white folks, as well as playing their music for an audience of white folks. So, like, there's, there's, I can't really speak to the importance of that, but it just rings to me as special. Not only because the performances are great, but, uh, but like that that mark in time is is very cool to see, even now. Uh, but we're, we're detracting from the band, which the last waltz is their quote unquote final concert. Uh, and what now you had not seen this before, right?
0: No, I had not. I had not seen this one. Uh,
1: And did you have any familiarity with, uh, the band?
0: Um, well watching it, I was like, Oh, I know this song. Oh, I know this song. Oh, I kind of know this song. (laughs)
1: Now was it now? It was it just them or was it the people who showed up on stage as well?
0: The ones, the ones that were just them. Like I, rec- I mean, I recognize okay. the people who sh- showed up on stage too, but okay. um, but like I knew the band was called the band because that's what they called them when he t- when they toured with Dylan, and, yeah. So, and, like I knew that's where the name came from, and they had like another name before that. Mm-hmm. But everything I ever learned, my my dad never really listened to the band. That's where a lot of my classic rock comes from, and sure. so. And, he, and he, he, like, I was like, "Hey, you want to watch this with me?" He's like, "Oh, sure." So we watched it. By the way, it took us it took us almost three hours to watch this movie because of all the, oh, all the stuff it. that kept on happening. Um,
1: Wait, were you discreet, charming the bourgeoisie, the last waltz? Kind of, <laughs> <That's what happened.
0: laughs> um, but uh, my dad goes, "Yeah, I've always heard of the band as like a musician's ba- favorite band, not really like anybody regular's favorite band." And I am like, "Oh, that's interesting," and I can I could definitely see why. Like, they're very much like a more out there, I think, rock band for the time. Not out there in the sense of, like, psychedelic or, like, whoa, it's deep. More, like, instrumental. It's, like, people like their four chords, and these guys are playing more than that. I think yeah. that's how I felt. Um, and it explains a lot that they were Dylan's band, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked it a lot.
1: Okay. Yeah, see, now, I'm – I'm. you and I are very similar in, in that, like, I – Prior to actually seeing this, because I think I didn't actually see it until it came out in a Scorsese box set uh, in the like mid two thousand. I'm thinking like two thousand four, two thousand five. That time, yeah. Period. Um, But like I had heard the band mainly because I had to go find them, Um, like when I was getting interested in in scorsese's work i would ask my parents like have you heard of a band called the band they're like yeah i've heard of them what'd you think of them i couldn't tell you what they wrote like all right and then i you know being the person who would just check out stuff i would take the plunge on i i really i i spent a lot of time are you familiar with allmusic.com yes so Allmusic.com was originally a book that released every few years where it was just All Music's Guide to Rock, All Music's Guide to Jazz, All Music's Guide to whatever. And it's just like a giant – it's a giant 1,200-page just we have blurbs on albums from bands like all throughout history. It's completely alphabetical. It'll break down their genre and everything. And that was how I found out about AllMusic.com after – this was in the mid-90s when I first picked up the book. Yeah. But then I went looking for them there, and I'm like, okay, so music from Big Pink, they're self-titled, and a couple of other albums are listed as five stars. And the way that they denoted, like, this is where you should start, it's five stars with that are just star outlines. So I'm like, okay, music from Big Pink. I found that at the used CD shop I went to and, and listened to it. And I was able to get it for like two bucks. And I was like, I mean, okay, maybe, but I didn't really start to, I didn't really start to understand it until I started, um, reading about more music, Yeah, not necessarily them or even like, cause I loved Bob Dylan at the time, but even through his work, I didn't really start an appreciation until I realized what else was happening at the time um, and trying to piece all that together without someone sort of formal form, former, formally guiding your guiding your way. It's it, a lot of it ends up making you just end up missing spots. There are a lot of holes in, in your knowledge and a lot of it doesn't seem to make sense. But like I find as I've grown o- older, I've started to appreciate their catalog, even though I might not be a fan.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I st- I mean, I love music from Big Pink now, um, and I probably have for the past like seven years. Of, that's when it started to really make sense. Um, but seeing, hearing you say like they're kind of a, a musicians band, like I get that. But thinking about where, thinking about what I know about the time, their first album came out, I believe in '69. That's the nice year, right? Yes, that's that's a nice year. A nice um, year.
0: Another nice year is fourteen twenty.
1: Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> uh, let me just find it real quick. Music from Big Pink came out. Okay, it came out in nineteen sixty eight. So it came out. So think about what's going on in nineteen sixty eight. This is this is the year the White Album comes out. This is the year that uh, it's just after Woodstock happened. Uh, we're 2 years removed from D- from Bob Dylan having a motorcycle accident and being at kind of the top of the top in terms of his output and popularity um and holdovers from the 67 summer of love are still are still like cream and we are just we're we're it's just about the time where black Sabbath starts creating metal like Led Zeppelin is just about to become a thing like it's a very interesting moment in terms of the I'll say the American popular music landscape uh, mainly because like the Beatles haven't broken up yet but also they haven't released what some called their best album in Abbey Road and in the aftermath of of Bob Dylan's like biggest stuff in blonde on blonde. It almost seems like music from big pink is the actual stake in the ground. This is where, uh, the popular rock of the time starts to make a a turn towards not necessarily forward, but backward in a lot of ways, not like it's going downhill, but I think music from big pink signifies, uh, looking at older forms prior to elvis yeah in terms of in terms of music so we're looking more at blues we're looking more at pre-elvis country we're looking at the first half of the 20th century in terms of uh what what was popular and somehow culturally timeless And you, in 2022, you could probably make the, you could, there's a, there's a way to make the case for like appropriation or whatever, but I actually think they're looking at like music from Big Pink is almost a study and a respect and uh, we don't want, we don't want to emulate. We want to sort of, we want to find our way ourselves. Uh, I think it's funny that in 1984, a lot of this stuff would be called Americana. Yeah. Like they would coin that music term, which it's not necessarily rah-rah patriotism, but it's definitely taking cues from several traditions of American music, specifically from the first half of the 20th century. So we're talking folk, blues, country, some jazz just because some jazz because there's there is a there is an element of that in the way Garth Hudson plays keyboards for the band like like the the interplay of Garth Hudson and Richard Manuel is kind of underrated imo also Robertson as a guitarist is he's not really talked about
0: but, like, maybe some of the most impressive guitar work that I've seen in a while.
1: Exactly. Like, it's not flashy, it's just good.
0: Yeah, it's just super solid and, like, consistent. And yeah. when he wants to be flashy, he still does it without being, like, the center of attention. hmm It's, it's but, interesting. It, it, I want to just jump on one thing real fast before go right we, ahead. we keep going. You talked about Cream earlier, just briefly. And um, I find it very interesting. My dad told me, he's like, yeah, you know, like... Um, I think it was. He said, uh, "Gosh, why am I spacing on names now?" Eric Clapton. Er- yeah, Eric Clapton wanted to join the band. I think before he joined Cream, like he was thinking about, like trying to join them. Or uh, maybe it was a- maybe it was after Cream, but he was like he was thinking about trying to join them though at some point. And I just thought to myself, was, like that would be the like the like the harshest ego check because I f- I feel like no none- no one in that band really has an ego."
1: Uh
0: at least not on the surface, right?
1: Well, I think in ter- in terms of what's displayed on the film, you have an argument. In terms of what has come out after the film, uh we should have a conversation. But um on that note specifically. Yeah. Like when like there's a there's a band song called This Wheels on Fire. It's it's I believe it's towards the end of the running order on music from Big Pink. Post Blonde on Blonde, and I think around the same time period as like New Morning and um, pre Nashville Skyline Bob Dylan, there was a demo that there's a there, not a demo, but a bootleg, a legendary bootleg called The Great White Wonder. And it is often cited that Eric Clapton heard that and knew he was done with cream. Like he broke up cream because of that. And all of that sort of became what's music on big pink what's bob dylan's basement tapes and a whole new like idea in term from the bigger players in music like george harrison cited a lot of that as like the inspiration for his debut album all things must pass in 1972 like there's a whole lot of weight put on on that bootleg and I also think, since we're talking about Clapton, it's ironic that he shows up as a guest. In this. Yeah, it's very, it's very funny. <laughs> um, but whether or not Clapton wanted to join the band, I, 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 I've never. I don't have any way to corroborate that. But I also, it wouldn't surprise me, um, mainly because Clapton was one of those really big stars who was so who who, i can somehow empathize with with stars being tired of being successful but i can't empathize the way clapton did it yeah because it was just like i want i want to be respected as a musician i don't care about fame i don't care about screaming girls yet he keep he kept kind of doing the same thing or at least that's the way it sounded to me and that's and also, like, there's a whole the whole thing with like Layla, Patty Boyd, all that. Just like, I feel like you're kind. of... I mean, not to not to say that George Harrison was perfect to his former wife. Uh, may he rest in peace. But like, there's a whole lot of just weird toxic masculinity in that era. That's that's that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. It's
0: just one of those things too. Like, and like later, Clapton. I mean, everybody's. Uh, people change in their old age, but I think sure. people are in their old age just more of the person that they pr- maybe were hiding. Eh, that's up for debate. But Clapton in his old age has become a very grumpy old man. <laughs> oh, definitely. And I just like I like the idea that he would be able to mesh, and I maybe and um Robbie Robertson like that's like that's the stuff that's come out. Like it seems like he might have been also a very grumpy old man and put some of them on blast for some stuff that, like, wasn't cool. And mm-hmm. that's why he didn't come back when they joined back up. And I think those if those two had to be together in any way for longer than a couple of songs, uh, things might have ended up...
1: Portable. Someone's and, taking their yeah. guitar and hitting the other with it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Which, the only person who would be happy about that is probably Pete Townsend, so...
0: I think Bob Dylan would be pretty happy about that, as long as it's not acoustic. <laughs>
1: Maybe. Um, but, okay, so let's let's kind of steer it back towards the towards the film. Otherwise, it's going to become a Trivial yeah, this Merit is, episode. I was about to say, we
0: shouldn't just make playlists real fast. Like, <laughs> I was kidding, right? Um, um, so, so, I don't think, personally, at least for me, when it comes to this being a film film, um, I don't think there's much to say. Because there's only two real, I think, filmy things about it, which is how it's shot. Yep. Which is really brilliantly shot. And there's a couple mm-hmm. of songs with that. Because for people who don't know, like most of this is like their farewell. This is their last concert. Like that's the whole idea is like, this is their last concert as a band. And that mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese was going to film for them and kind of like cut up and make into a movie. And yeah. there's, a, there's like, I think there's two songs that aren't filmed in the concert part. They're, uh, they're, I
1: believe they were performed. But, but just like af- the, the
0: footage we see isn't the footage at the concert.
1: Is yeah, is them on a soundstage? Yes, it is. Uh, the wait with uh, the wonderful Staple Singers and Evangeline with the lovely Lou Harris.
0: Well, uh, the last song too, where they're all just playing the the more um, more fancy instruments at the very end. They're on the soundstage there, and that's where like. Uh, what they're, and they're, what
1: they're with sh- I sh- with I shall be released?
0: Yeah, because I they thought have... they were
1: still. I thought they were still. Well, they're in the concert. They're,
0: they're they're playing all that stuff, uh, with the shadows and stuff. Was it? Um, okay, you, you continue what you think about movie wise. While I look up that last song.
1: That's fine. So, like you're you're one hundred percent correct. Like there's there's very little to this, and I think that unless we want to talk about our favorite performances in it there's not much to say like you watch you watch a rock band perform and then it's interspersed with uh very i'll say not very interesting anecdotes I remember the first time I saw this being more interested in what any of these people had to say than i than I was this watch now that's not to say that any of this, is bad or poorly done. But I think that though, I think that what you want out of what you, what I want out of a, out of a concert film or, or documentary is sort of maybe the weight of the performance, but also insight into what this means. Yeah. And I got more insight reading, reading, the Wikipedia entry for this film than I did the film. Yeah. Now funny enough, like if you if you want if you wanna if you wanna read the <laughs> the Wikipedia <laughs> entry, which let's not let's not I'm not trying to pass that as the end all be all in terms of facts and research. But it turns out that the rest of the band kind of had a problem with it without whether or not they were vocal about it i mean you can the-
0: fe- you can feel the, the there's only two members of the band that felt comfortable at all doing this, and the rest felt like they were being like forced to do something they just weren't weren't really wanting to do at all
1: right and but see, I also think there there are two members that are okay in front of a crowd, yeah. I mean, as much as Rick Danko sang, he looks very out of place when he's pushed front and center. Yeah. On um, even even on stage. Whereas Robbie Robertson, motherfucker, loves the camera. Yeah. Uh,
0: he he I I think in a past life he wish he was a movie star, right?
1: Yeah. And I I mean, if if I'm being one hundred percent honest, I would like a cut of this where you see Levon Helm just tell stories. And, uh, because the way he, the way his Southern draw like hits and just the timbre in his voice, just like, man, I could just hear him tell me anything. I want him to read stereo instructions. I'll bet you I'll find them interesting at some point. Uh Um, and maybe it's, it's more because I'm in my forties now and I grew up way after any of this happened. I I found myself going, yep, this is just a bunch of boomers talking about the boomer times. And while there's some sort of there there's there's a bit of cultural name dropping, and I'm supposed to find that fascinating, I also kind of recognized that you know life in the universe is kind of chaotic, and we're we're kind of lucky to be where we are when we are. And just because, like, just because you got to play with the late great Sonny Boy Williamson, I'm not sure I care.
0: Yeah, and, and, uh, and um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Continue.
1: No, you're good. Go ahead.
0: I was just the, the so, I found the song. I just want to make sure I, that we make sure we're corrected. It's when they sure. perform the last vault at the end of the movie.
1: Oh, the uh, just like, like the, 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 instrument. the instrumental. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, that's okay. Yeah. No, that is definitely soundstage.
0: And I think that's maybe the most cinematic part of everything.
1: Oh yeah, the soundstage stuff is filmed brilliantly. Like the um, I think. I honestly think the, the staple singers and Emmylou Harris of all of this, like I really like music from big pink from the band, but the rest of their output I've tried several times and I find myself just not, it never hits me, but the way the staple singers take a band classic and make it their own. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is the only place uh, Evangeline was ever released. And Lou Harris has a voice that could probably melt my heart anytime any place and uh, and I really love those two segments of this film and yeah th- those two like I I think Caroline and I, have, on on Trivial Merit, have mentioned The Weight and how it's just like a great song. Staple Singers make it their own. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, granted, everybody gets to sing their part. Levon gets to sing his couple of parts. Rick Danko sings his. And compared to the album version, Rick Danko sounds like he has a pair. Whereas in the album version, he sounds very tepid, timid, and uh, unsure where he wants to take his vocals. Uh, and that's not a criticism; it's just an observation. I'm not trying to say uh, that Rick Danko was a bad singer because I don't really think he was. May he rest in peace. Um, same with Levon Helm. Uh, but the Staple Singers just shine on that version. Um, so I've been talking a lot, Jesse. You talk to me about you, you. Let's 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 let you reel a little bit. What yeah, you gotta no, say? So
0: okay, so I'll break down. Basically, everything that my thoughts when it comes to the film part of this, right? Okay. So, my my thing is, I think Scorsese, I mean, he's talked about this, and I think Robbie Robinson had a re- I was looking at some just some recent interviews with him about this, and they're like, there was just a lot of cocaine. Like, there's mm-hmm. just a ton. And like, Robbie Robinson's like, it wasn't even good. <laughs> like, wasn't even like, the, the good <laughs> Which, whatever. But I think that helped play, I think that plays into. The idea that Scorsese like felt like he was making a movie where he was just filming a, a really nice concert, um, mm-hmm. and that's what was the, I think the b- biggest bummer about it is the interview parts were the parts that you could really make it a film, right? Yeah, you have all these major musicians coming in, and you don't ask them any questions.
1: Well, I also think that like we start at the be- if you start at the beginning of the film, like all of the interview stuff takes place afterward. Yeah. 'Cause like this is you know, the last I mean, Robert Robertson says at the beginning of the last waltz was the end of the band's sixteen year career. Yeah. Now I know that the staple singers and Emmy Lou Harris soundstage bits were formed after the act were filmed after the actual concert. So even all of that is after the fact. It, it wasn't like sound it wasn't even done at the same place. And honestly, uh, the way the interview segments feel, um, which I will say that there's a moment early where uh, R- Rick Danko and Richard Manuel are talking about like having, or well, even Robbie Robertson is involved in this because he's in every frame of the film. They're talking about the times where they had no money and they're going and stealing groceries so they can eat. Richard Manuel looks like a man possessed when he's telling this story. <laughs> Richard Manuel and,
0: looks like a man who's still stealing groceries to eat. Also, yeah,
1: so. <laughs> yeah. Not well, bad, he did at that's the time. Not a
0: bad thing. It's just like I'm like this man never seems to have
1: taken a break. I well, so yeah, and I I think I think he I think the the consensus afterwards is he had a bunch of demons because I do know yeah. he committed suicide. In the yeah, 80s. yeah, and and the um, the
0: story of that which we won't get into because this is not. Too much of a bummer podcast, but it is a very sad story about, like, that last night.
1: Yeah, it's it's very sad. But I like, I kind of wish they would have lingered in those stories and those moments more, where it wasn't just Robbie Robertson trying to, because it seems like this whole idea was, conco- the way the film plays out, it seems like this whole idea was concocted by Robertson as, like, some big grand goodbye for this band. I think he had the collective in mind. Unfortunately, he forced himself so far to the front that he, it seemed like he suffocated all other voices. Yeah. And I mean, Scorsese kind of displays a really good, he, he displays like how good of a filmmaker he is with the way he cuts a lot of that in. I think he times his cuts, right. But I feel like beca- because all of because there's so much Robertson and so much and so few of the rest of the band of Danko, Hudson, Helm, Manuel, it feels like Scorsese. while well, he said he was using a lot of cocaine himself. He came back, looked at what he had and was like, man, I need to make a film out of this. And I don't think I have it now. Is this prior to the soundstage stuff and prior to the post-concert interviews that happen? I don't know. Uh, but and I'm not like trying to. I'm not trying to lob that criticism, but I am. I, I will say it feels kind of forced. Yeah. Rather than. Um,
0: I mean it's it's so frustrating these interview parts at times because not only is it the Robbie Robinson show for most of it, and the people who aren't Robbie Robinson seem to be, like, not really want to be there, but the stories are really good. Mm-hmm. Scorsese doesn't even mic himself. Yeah. <laughs> which is really frustrating to me, because yeah. I'm like, what was the question? And I have to, yeah. like, turn up... And again, maybe this is just the way my audio is mixed, but I have a 5.1 really nice surround sound in our living room. <laughs> um, it's just... I.
1: You have a nice speaker to pick up all the bad shit.
0: <laughs> it, well, the, like, the concerts are great, but every yeah. time they had to go to the interviews, I had to like, turn it up again. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why is this, why is the interview stuff, the, the stuff that probably is the most important of the film-making side, just why yeah. is it so poorly mixed? And I think that was like the most frustrating part next to the interviews feeling awkward at times. It's just the sound mixing on them is really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's... I mean, I actually think that this is probably going to be the first film where both you and I are kind of like, hmm, maybe you don't have to watch this. I mean, Um, if you love
0: watching concerts, this is the best. Like, this is a great two hour concert. But if you think you're going to be watching some kind of like important piece of cinema, there's other concerts that I think are more important.
1: Yeah, watch Woodstock, watch stacks watch I mean, Monterey Pop. Like, 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 like,
0: concerts without even interviews? I think the Eagles Hell Freezes is over is, like, a more important concert film, in a way.
1: Well, dude, and see, and the funny thing is, all of the historical stuff after this makes the band seem like the goddamn Eagles, a band yeah, of I, multiple I think, individuals like, who hated each other! I, I
0: may, may, maybe we should have done this a different way, where we watched the, the, the commentaries... Because there's a commentary with I believe Scorsese and Robbie Robinson on the Criterion Blu-rays, um,
1: and and and, you, and I'll be honest with you, if you would have proposed it that way, I would have said nah. Yeah, probably,
0: yeah, it's not as fun, but I think that that we would probably have gotten a bit more out of it if we did it.
1: Maybe, but I also like as and and it's more because of Robbie Robertson, not because of Scorsese. I like listening to Scorsese talk about film. Um especially when he's sort of given a a decent amount of rope to just go on whatever journey he's going to go. He'll take you interesting places. He'll, 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 he'll he'll talk about interesting things. He might even reveal stuff you didn't know, or he might reveal stuff you already knew in a new way. That's interesting. Um, but as someone who grew up in the nineties and became gravitated towards, uh, a lot of the end of, the end of the 20th century like looking back and saying these are the greatest things especially in music i heard a lot of robbie robertson yeah and i heard i heard a lot of him just talking about things that as i mean considering at the end of at the end of the 90s i was 19 um he was saying things that like i'm like it's I don't think classic rock is bad or unimportant, but I think the way you are talking about it is so up your own (laughs) ass. And I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you that what Elvis did in the 50s wasn't special, but the fact that you don't want to acknowledge the problems of it all, that's very short-sighted as someone who comes from an era of being aware and yeah. introducing the idea of being aware and you are just showing a complete lack of awareness and that is all all of that is to say that that's my thoughts on him I'm not saying that's what he was doing I may be wrong but the way it, the way it rang to me was that
0: for, for me I feel like there's only two reasons you should ever really like seek out this movie other than you other than following along with us that's uh, besides the point thing yeah um I think is one is if you're doing research on the band, mm-hmm. I think this is a very important piece to see like how sure. they presented themselves and also how great they were. Uh, the second again is if you just want a nice two hour concert DVD, it's a perfect thing. It's yeah. like, it's, it's one of the best ones. It's just, I don't, I don't find it as important to concert films as I kind of thought when I heard Scorsese, I mean like Scorsese went, went, um, and made the, the Rolling
1: Stones, he made shine a light. He also made no direction home with Bob yeah, Dylan. Yeah, and I
0: feel like both of those are highly, more highly regarded than this. Is, both of those a, I still,
1: both of those I've not seen yet. So. But like
0: as a, actually like a piece of like film, those seem to be more regarded than this does as a like a film. Yeah, I I, I wonder if said like drilling on how much this is a movie anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Should we like pick one or two performances that we really like and like talk about why we like them?
1: I'm going to pick... I'll pick one on top of the other two that I've talked about. <laughs> uh, but uh, but since I've talked about a couple already, you, I'll let you go. I,
0: I want to talk about the Bob Dylan performance. Okay. Uh, when I was, I, I, I've seen Bob Dylan live once, and it was pretty cool to see him live, but it was Bob mm-hmm. Dylan now, and it was country Bob Dylan. And also, I was not close, so I could not hear him th- the best. But sure. I've always appreciated Bob Dylan for everything he's done, and I know there's a lot of people who don't appreciate well, not appreciate, but don't like Bob Dylan, because he can't sing, right? Like, that's always the argument. Bob Dylan can't sing. Well, well I so mean, but like, that's he, the general argument, right?
1: Yeah, that's, his voice is bad. But I will say this. I think if Bob Dylan had a better voice, his songs don't land.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's true, but I think this concert proves that wrong, that he also can't sing. <laughs> oh, sure. I think Bob Dylan's maybe one of the, the standout, like singers other than like the powerhouse singers like he sings these songs like really well and has like a really nice tone to them all but not only that have you ever heard bob dylan sing the uh, jazz standards yeah so good it's so good blue Mm -hmm. is like his like like more like somber stuff his voice works for it but um no i think the i think the bob dylan ones are very good um and i think they are maybe my favorite dylan things i've seen so far and, and I, I think he just he like you could tell that this has been his traveling band for five ten years. I don't know how long he they were with them, but for a long time, mm-hmm. and they just meshed and they had a blast together. It seemed.
1: Yeah, I I think that I I like where Dylan. This is one of my favorite periods of Dylan's career as well because I think this was filmed in seventy six. I know it was released in 78, uh, but this is post-Blood on the Tracks. This is, I think, post-Desire. I think this is just prior to his, his uh, hyper-country, born-again Christian phase that began with Slow Train coming. And... It is also just after uh, one of the legendary tours he was a part of called the Rolling Thunder Review yeah which was re- which was released in the mid2000s as a bootleg series and that two disc set is worth your time. it's it's my second favorite period of, of, of Dylan in terms of his live stuff. my my overall favorite is the stuff he did with the band and um, the basement tapes and the bootleg series on that is priceless as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I will agree with you that, that Dylan's work here is, it's surprisingly appropriate, uh, as a closer. Yeah. Because he, he shows up and he just, he just belts and he does. I mean, while he's like, especially in, in I shall be released, he's standing there on a stage crowded with legends I'm not saying that that any of any of them are more important than he is to music history but like standing there with neil young van Morrison, ronnie wood of the rolling stones formerly of the faces ringo is playing drums i mean there 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 is a a who's who of the late 60s early 70s i found
0: it so funny ringo was playing drums by the way because you cannot tell there was two drums going on for me at least.
1: no you can't uh and, and i think i yeah, just let Ringo be Ringo. It's fine. Um, but he shows up and, and he he steps to the plate and he just he smacks that ball right out of the park without even hesitation. And it's so appropriate considering earlier in the show. And I'm going to talk about this kind of because it makes me laugh. But seeing Van Morrison in a sequin jacket—I
0: was about to say I knew who Van Morrison was. I did not know what Van Morrison looked like.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So,
0: so when they're like, "And here's Van Morrison," I'm like, "Is this tiny Irishman?"
1: So this is a period for Van Morrison, like right before he becomes a shithead in terms of like like he becomes a grumpy old man early in life, like the late seventies. I read like right
0: before. That he did this he had an album that didn't did not do well at all and that kind of turned him off of doing music for a bit
1: uh that's pro- well I know um let me I know that he had a couple of those albums throughout his life or throughout his career like he's still kind of I think he's still basically going like he just released an album this year for crying out loud yeah um I
0: also felt like Van Morrison just hadn't performed in a minute because he definitely was a a mumbling through some of those lines
1: oh no that's 100 percent true but that's also his vocal style um with moon dance in 1970 his band and the street choir also in 1970 and st dominic's preview in 1972 he became popular again in a way that he didn't know how to deal with in 68 he released one of the greatest albums in history called astral weeks uh and i'm not going to defend my position there but um those uh, Moon Dance, his band, and Saint Dominic's Preview kind of brought him back to touring, and that in 1974 he released actually one of the greatest live albums, better than the Last Waltz, uh, called "It's Too Late to Stop Now." And then right after that, he released Veden Fleece, which was not received well, and I think that's the album that we're talking about. Um, In terms of he might not he he might want to not do music for a while yeah but then after that he kind of just became uh he became a a curmudgeon old man and he was not even i don't think he was even 40 yet if he was even 30 i don't remember when he was born um but yeah he, he he's been a grumpy old man ever since
0: another surprising one for me was neil diamond Yes. Because I only know Neil Diamond as, I mean, like, old people really love Neil Diamond. Like, you have a van full of people going from the retirement home to, like, bingo, and they're singing Sweet Caroline, right? Like, that's what I know Neil Diamond as.
1: Oh, you know what? I was thinking you said Neil Young. My bad.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. Sorry. No, Neil Young I know as the grumpy old man who makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, he's Grumpy Old Man for the right reasons. <laughs> like, if we're going to be honest, Neil, it's okay for Neil Young to be Grumpy Old Man. He's grumpy about the right shit. Um, but Neil Diamond, yeah, that's... so.
0: But this was like before that time, or maybe it was like during that time, but he was just not singing one of those songs.
1: Who, Neil... Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Yeah, this is... I think this might be... I don't remember when Sweet Caroline came out. And I'm not gonna pretend. But
0: like Neil Neil Diamond always felt like uh, someone who was trying to follow up Elvis and like like get those fumes and like keep going from there. <laughs> to me, yeah. as someone who's coming from it after the fact, right?
1: Sure. No, that's 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 yeah. I I I get you there. Um, I think I have a weird, not a weird history with Neil Diamond, but like my history with him is different than most. Like I didn't hear Sweet Caroline till I was in my 20s or maybe late teens and it did not like I was like, okay, great, Neil Diamond. But like <laughs> I grew I grew up with with uh like my mom and my biological father. They liked the stuff after like like they had the greatest hits too on vinyl and listened to that a lot. So I heard like a lot of that rather than his most popular stuff. But in terms of his per- his uh, performance here, it kind of just blows by me. I'm like, all right, he shows up, he d- he does his job, and I think I think the song he plays, I think it's called Dry Your Eyes, is really good.
0: Yeah, and to speak of the other Neil Neil Young, just has a blast. It seems like it seems like he's having a good old time up there. Also, oh he's, yeah, he's, he's probably blasted when like I don't know how many of these people well, yeah, were super high. There's, but but,
1: there there's an anecdote that they had to fix some cocaine on his nose in post.
0: That makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the last thing I want to say about the, the going back all the way back to Dylan real fast is I love the story. And again, who knows if this is true, but I was reading, reading stuff about this, um, that he we were like he originally was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's do this. You can record my stuff for good. And then as it was getting closer, he's like, maybe we don't record mine because it feels like it takes away from why we're doing this. Yeah, And they're like, well, no, that's the point. You're, you're part of this type of thing. But I love that Dylan was just self-aware enough that he's like, I like these guys too much to take away from their spotlight. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. just, I just I appreciate that about Dylan.
1: Yes. Uh, and I think my other than the two performances that I mentioned, um, my favorite performance in this is uh, Dr. John doing uh, Such a Night. Um, that's not, I don't think he's the, he's like near the front of the running order in terms of their guest. I think it's Ronnie oh, Hawkins. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That was good. I think it's Ronnie Hawkins, then him. And part of me was always like, why didn't they just play with him more? Because I think if you've never heard Dr. John's music, you should, it's very good. Uh, the album that "Such a Night" is on, I believe, is called "Right Place, Wrong Time" or "Wrong Ti- or "Wrong Place, Right Time." One of those, some mishmash of that. Uh, it's it's a phenomenal bit of '70s rock, but it's completely propelled by New Orleans piano R and B. And for a moment in this concert, the band doesn't seem like the band anymore. They seem like they are Doctor John's backing artists. And they are having a better time than they ever have throughout the rest of the film. <laughs> like, it seems like just a fun five minutes that they're on stage together. And uh, although shout outs to Ronnie Hawkins because uh, I do like that version of "Who Do You Love" by Bob
0: Dylan. Um, my last thought about the movie before we move on to what we've been watching. You can have your your last thought after mine if you want. Um, sure. I want to talk about. How the whole time I was watching it, every time I saw Garth Hudson, I was like, "Is that, is that, is that the producer of the Beastie Boys?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> Garth Hudson and Rick Rubin—they've never been seen in the same place. I'm just, I'm just saying <laughs> the,
0: the, the bald the the way they're balding, the way they wear their beards. I'm just saying if you told me that Garth Hudson was Rick Rubin. I would believe you or at least that they were related yeah <laughs> um
1: yeah that's 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 really good actually <laughs> um the only thing i'll really add on is i find it funny that a band that is responsible for the term americana is largely from canada
0: yeah that's also funny it's funny how much <laughs> they talk about like the america and like the music and everything i'm like very, like very much they talk about it like someone who's lived all their life and my dad's like you know they're from canada
1: right yep same um, thing same thing with neil young canada oh yeah he's from <laughs> canada.
0: um i was gonna i was gonna say those like we might maybe we'll do this one day i don't know how much into long-form documentaries we'll ever get into but you know it's a really great documentary. That's also a very like great documentary film. I think what is uh, the Tom Petty documentary? The run- I think it's called Running Down the Dream. Is the name of the documentary too? Um, that's just a very I think a very nice documentary. That's one of those documentaries where you finish and you go, oh, I think I want to be listening to Tom Petty
1: for the next six months. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest. I had not heard of that, so I, I, I didn't I, I didn't know that I didn't know that there was a documentary on Tom Petty. Um, I would watch it so. So yeah, don't I, I? would watch that.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. I think it's one of my favorite music documentaries. There's a lot of really good ones out there. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe I think we, maybe we'll come back and try to actually so, do a music documentary one of these days. I'll
1: I'll throw I'll throw a little bit of, a, a little bit of final thoughts also. Just even though I said I wouldn't, but um, sorry to go back on that. No, you're good. This was named by Rolling Stone magazine as the greatest concert film of all time.
0: Nah, fam.
1: Um, it's not. No, and I'm not gonna sit here and say Rolling Stone was wrong because I'll bet you this was somehow a consensus by. Several... I'll say Rolling Stone was wrong. Yeah, well, but I, but like it's not just one person. I think it's just I think, like whenever, as someone who worked at a at a music publication briefly, like all of that end of year stuff where you say your album of the year is this, it's decided by committees, so it's kind of like what everyone there decides to allow to be the top i disagree with this i think this is actually a way in i mean i think there are i think there's there's something to understand here like this is an important moment for a band but i don't know how i don't know how important this band is to anybody in in 2022 yeah um i think you could probably look at the beatles rooftop concert as being more important than this
0: i mean honestly now that we have get back as a concert and documentary film like I think that I think this now technically blows it out of the water, right? Yeah. Which I bought my dad that Blu-ray, so I will definitely be watching it at some point.
1: Nice. I mean, I think if you wanted to talk about um, using the media of of the medium of concert film uh for better than this I would. I mean, as much as I don't like the live album Stop Stop Making Sense, I think the film is wonderful. Uh, That's the Talking Heads one. We're going to watch it
0: at some point. I want
1: to do it. I'll do it. I think it's a better concert than this. And I think it's because everyone sort of knows, everyone goes into it knowing it's a concert film. So they're like, okay, how can we play with this? And they do it. They play with it. In a way that they are all on board with and everybody is focused and it it works. Um, But there are more important documents than this. And I would point to Woodstock, Wattstacks, and Monterey Pop, especially the Jimi Hendrix and Otis Redding sections of those. And then even the Who's, the Kids Are All Right, which is just a montage of their TV performances and, man, the Who could perform the fuck out of a song. <laughs>
0: you know you what? Know, maybe maybe on the social media, if I have time, this when this comes out, um, I'll post a list of like documentaries and concerts that I really enjoy that I think are just, for me, more enjoyable than this. Not to say yeah. that, again, this is bad. If you have the 4K of this, it was beautiful. It's very pretty, and it sounds mm-hmm. great. It's just the parts that are supposed to be film- aren't super good. The, I think the yeah. only filmy part of this that I like is the last performance that they do on the soundstage because Scorsese plays with shadows and he plays with angles and he actually like puts effort into, I think, what it means for to make a film of this, right? Yeah. Because like, he definitely had the cameras there during the show. I, I'm sorry, I'm going mm-hmm. off another tangent. But he had the cameras there for the show. You can see how many different cuts are happening during each performance. But he just doesn't do anything with it other than the standard concert film and maybe because at the time this is the only type of thing that happened that's why it's so important. Yeah. But That makes sense. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like the Citizen Kane thing where like if you don't think Citizen Kane continues to add something to the discussion, it it doesn't be it's not at the most important film anymore. I don't totally have that vibe, but I that's why I get when people say wow, Citizen Kane is the, is the best film ever made. I don't believe that. Well, yeah, because Everything is now based off of it, so now they've improved and they've grown and everything. So you can't, you can never, I think, truly, wholeheartedly argue that the first major version of something is the best version of that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think. Well, so it depends on what your definition of best is. Yeah,
0: I and mean, like it also like comes down to personal preference overall, but mm-hmm. I, I think in general though, like you can um, you can say like this is a really impressive for at the time or very impressive for what they had or et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's a harder argument. You're trying to be like, you know, guys, citizen Kane is better than everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm like, but everything, everywhere, all at once happened now. And they did it in the system now. And it's very impressive. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that.
1: Like there's, 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 you know, what almost eight decades of culture in between citizen Kane and everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, so you, you also have to, you also, you, there's, there's so many, there's so many factors to examine yeah. with, with a statement like that. And the, I think the one thing, and I'm not saying this about you, Jesse, but I think the one thing that everybody forgets is all of these decisions are by committee. Yeah. I
0: agree. It's not, it, it's
1: not one person at the top of the pile going, yes, this is the best one. Um, it's. Like if if you a lot of people tend to lean on sight and sound as as the barometer for what's the greatest film of all time because it's filmmakers doing it I believe, um, but the American Film Institute did the same thing I think twice I think they still they're still calling Citizen Kane the best ever that's by that's by committee it's not and, it's and I not, think the
0: issue is though is like is the film bros who grab that and go see this means it's the best of all time and it'll never oh, change yeah. you know what i mean yeah Whole, i mean
1: there's there's having a conversation with it and then just hiding behind it and i think a lot of the film bros hide behind it and as someone who has recently tried branching out and listening to pods about people talking about films that they're watching man that lands i mean i'm not i'm not saying i'm not to denigrate us jesse i love talking about cinema with you i love talking about movies with you i love making you watch my weird favorite movies but i don't know how i'm not trying to say we add anything special to the conversation or say or say that we don't but there are some people who believe that they are and i just hear absolute miss after miss of the point of a piece of art and it yeah it grinds my gears. Um But I but, also
0: think there's also shows out there who like aren't the end all be all, but they make extremely good points that I'm like, oh, you know what? Honestly, if you yeah, if I, if you put it in that light, that is true. <laughs> like, but yeah. I never, I never put in that light because I never had the words or anything like.
1: Yeah. Or um, or it's it's someone else's point of view illuminating something that you didn't see, and yeah. there's value there too. There's plenty of value there.
0: Um. So, to uh, wrap up, uh, so everybody knows, the next movie we're going to watch is The Red Shoes. I believe that's still on Criterion and probably still on HBO Max. Shit, yeah. After that, I've made a decision while we were recording what we're going to watch after that. I did Fuck not. Fuck me up, thing. fam. We're going to watch Superman, the first Christopher Reeves movie. Really? Yes. That makes me so happy. I feel like we've done. A lot of really high artsy <laughs> movies. And The Red Shoes is going to be no different, because it's one of those movies that's very important in its restoration. Um, oh, that's for sure. That I think it would be nice to go back to see how it all began with the current popcorn f- flavor of the month, uh, the superhero movies with Christopher Because I think, I, like, Christopher Reeves, like Superman, like, yes, Batman 66 had its movie and everything, and there's other superhero movies and serials before... Reeve's is Superman. But the yes. Reeve's Superman
1: is the perfect. 66 is bad though. <laughs> hey, it's a great comedy. Sure. It's a fantastic sure. Comedy. But still kind of bad. <laughs> it's it's
0: a, it's a TV movie made into a feature film. I um, know, I know. I but know. uh no, but Christopher yeah. Superman is like the most important piece of the current film uh landscape, I think. And uh I'm excited. I'm excited. Like I think I think you can count four five major movies that changed everything. Right, you got like when it comes to superhero movies, you Superman. Movies. I'm gonna
1: stop you. I'm gonna stop you in this sentence not because, um, not because I dis- not because I I see where you're going and I disagree, but I kind of want to augment it a little bit.
0: That's fine. We can um, wait.
1: Are you talking about like just in terms of like leading to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or just leading or? to
0: like how yeah, like how we're at where we're at right now? I think okay. there's five stepping stones. That's all. Okay. Like, okay. and not even like the outside because I think franchise wise there's other things outside like, I think there's other franchises that influence Marvel but I'm talking about like the way superhero movies are structured and <clears throat> the way they're presented I think there's five certain movies that help shape that and every one of them is really just a reshape of the one that came before but they're definitive reshapes right okay so I think you have the Reeve Superman hmm. then you have the, um, the first Batman the uh, Tim Burton uh, Tim Burton Okay. And then, and then you have Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. One or two. Oh, the first one. I, th- I think two has okay. a lot of influences, but the first one—it's just building off the first one, and the first one's still like the bread and butter of it all. Okay. And then your fifth one, you would think I would put the Nolan movies in here, but that's not the case. It's Iron Man, right? Like Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Has, oh, definitely like, is the the final shape of this of this summer blockbuster. And the only reason I wouldn't put the Nolan movies in there is the current Marvel movies take really nothing from those Nolan movies. No,
1: they do not. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, other than maybe the, 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 the muted colors at times for some of the more grounded heroes, mm-hmm. they, they don't. Um, but all these other movies kind of reshape and remold the bombastic movie that came before them. Like, Spider Man is playing off of Reeve Superman and the, the the goofiness of the Kilmer movies and stuff, but also Michael Keaton's movie. And then you have, when it leads up to Iron Man, Iron Man's like, oh, we can have these jokes, this silliness of these characters, but put it into a, a better realistic thing. And I think that's reshaping Raimi's vision. Which, okay. again, we have a new Raimi movie that fits the mold, right? <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. why it works, is because it fits the mold, but still can be a Raimi movie. So, anyways, that's so- the reason I want to do Superman. <laughs>
1: So so you're so I am just trying to make sure I remember your five correctly. Superman, starring Christopher Reeve. Yes. Uh, Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Yes. Iron Man one. Yes. And. Spider Man. Spider Man. That's only four.
0: Oh, that's only four. Oh, where did I where did I lose one? Well, then those are the four because I don't think there's another one that really because infl- I think the X Men movies are their own thing. Um, and they fall apart really fast to really be influential. Yeah, at all.
1: they start off great, and then just they just. But don't they're bu- they're just
0: building off of the same stuff. The Raimi one is the Raimi one, though, is just mm-hmm. putting a, a better spin off of it all. Okay. And like uh, you could, like the Amazing Spider-Man movies, those are taking influence from Nolan, but those don't land; they don't stick.
1: It might it might be it might be too new, per se. But I would say the one that sort of stands out to me as belonging in that conversation is Black Panther.
0: I I think yeah I think Black Panther but I like think, it's still
1: it's still too early you you know like we well, don't have enough I time. Think the frustrating
0: thing about Black Panther is it, I think it definitely should be, but it doesn't feel like they've taken anything from it.
1: They like, haven't had time yet.
0: Maybe they, maybe that's they, they, what it is. Maybe maybe Wakanda Forever really shifts that because it looks mm-hmm. like it could. Um, but it feels like like when you have Black Panther that should be like um, for me it's like you're taking the Iron Man method and shifting it into like a really more you you're combining the iron man method with the nolan method I think with black panther and that's what it should be um sure but then then after that they just do more iron man method
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that's what it feels like at least
1: yeah no that, I'm more than happy to do superman
0: yeah so um, I think superman's going to be fun for the
1: for the same reasons you said for that for the for the five that you listed or for the four that you listed um as well as, like, I'm in the same boat. Like, we've been watching a lot of heavy shit. And I'm glad that sort of... I feel like... I feel like it's the last waltz. Just sort of, like, that's the straw that's yeah. breaking the camel's back here. And I don't think the
0: Red Shoes is going to be heavy. It's just going to be really us talking about artsy stuff. And don't get me wrong. Superman, I'm going to pull out some comic book art stuff. But
1: And I can't wait for that. Like, that... Like, honestly... I'm I'm stoked for that because you're going to bring so much that I have no reference for. And
0: I might like um, do do the stupid thing and watch a bunch of the other Reeve Superman and uh, the the cartoons and stuff that came up before that influenced this movie also. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think th- I I really like the I really like all four Superman movies with Reeve in them. Um I'm not going to I'm not going to say they're good but but i like um but let's uh let's 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 not dwell too long on that what have you been watching Jesse?
0: well i haven't watched a ton just cuz i've been busy and i've been watching more tv than anything recently
1: okay you know i'm i'm no 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 no
0: Wait, what's the one thing I've been watching?
1: Mobile Suit Gundam.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I rewatched, so I re-watched all of the Don't act movies. like
1: you forgot. Don't... Well, no, I did, don't... I,
0: I was trying to think <laughs> about all the stuff I've been watching. Like, he's talking about One Piece? Aww. Is he going to bring up I'm watching One Piece again? Wait,
1: you're um, watching like, One Piece? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm
0: already pretty caught up. I'm just behind from where I got current before, so I'm catching up. Oh, again. okay. Um, No, I, I was like... I was watching... So, if anybody's listening to the, the entire series of uh, Free Reeling, you know we did the Gundam trilogy at some point. Yes. And I was lukewarm on it then. Um, and that, during that time, I was already watching the original Gundam series, mm-hmm. um, but for some reason my brain's like, you gotta watch it, you gotta watch it subtitled, you don't watch it dubbed. You'll be wasting your time if you don't watch it Oh subtitled. boy. And I think that was my biggest thing, is I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't focus. Um, oh, so, you
1: couldn't focus on the subtitles.
0: Yeah, at the time and like during oh, okay. us watching the trilogies, right. I just I really couldn't like hone in like I used to. Because I was around the time I was burning out on anime real hard. Um yeah. so now I'm getting I'm I'm slowly easing myself back in and I was like, you know, I'm gonna finish Gundam because I think if I watch it the way it's supposed to be, which is all these episodes, I'll like it better, mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna watch it dubbed and just go through it. And let me tell you Oh, it was a blast. I I think I watched all of the rest of because I was only like five episodes in, so I watched the other thirty five episodes ish in like yeah. two weeks.
1: Yeah, Gun, uh, OG Gundam, very good.
0: I think the only thing I want them to remaster is the soundtrack, just because I think and we talked about this. Like, there's certain moments where we're like this is a very heavy moment, and they're like, "Here's some nice keys from the 80s. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> it just felt weird at times. Um no, I think I think Gundam is a very important show when it comes to telling a nice war story. I have a friend, and I don't—he, he'll never hear this—but he hates mechs because he thinks they're impractical. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But the point of the mech shows is the characters riding the mechs. Yeah, that or the ones that sell toys. Either one. But the, yeah. the mechs themselves aren't the super
1: important part. Oh, look. Gundam is a... Gundam, uh, and I, I hope Six Detmar never listens to this, because I know that they will have plenty of things to say to me on the Bald Gun Guy show. <laughs> but, but Mobile Suit Gundam as a franchise? Fucking hypocritical. Like, so much of it is, like... Anti-capitalist, anti—you know—destroying the environment and pro pro-conser- conserving the world we live in. Yet, it is the one of the biggest franchises in the world because of plastic models. I'm not. I'm not saying that to discount the rest of the series in the franchise because some of, like I was telling you on Discord, Zeta and Double Zeta are some of my. Favorite shit, and as I was going through them uh, a second and even third time, and going along with uh, the Great Gundam Project, like I was finding myself having similar change of point of view as Em and Jackson do in that series. Yeah, th- th- fucking Gundam is so cool, and 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 it 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 would, it would fall apart if the mechs were bad, but the mechs are amazing. Um, Um, and I'm, I'm glad you did this. I'm glad you, I'm glad you ended up doing it and, uh, and and liking it because I'm going to go through it in order. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to go on the journey with you.
0: Um, so we might have, we might have like a, maybe, maybe a segment called where we at in Gundam. Um, yeah, but I've been following along with the current list of, um, what's it? Blank check the podcast, blank check. And currently, they're doing a uh, Kubrick uh, catalog review. That's what they're doing right now. That's what the current director they're working through is. And I, I knew I knew Kubrick did um, black and white movies, but I didn't know he did bad black and white movies. <laughs> Um, the first Kubrick movie is Fear and Desire. It's not good. I don't recommend no, it. No, it's not. It's only, it's actually bad. And even, even he said, don't ever touch this. Like, no one had copies for the longest time until they found a good copy that wasn't owned by the estate. Um. Yeah. Killer's Kiss, though, however. Is Fucking owned-
1: A, right. It's amazing.
0: It's, it's like, it's like a pretty... Good noir movie with no one you know, but then the final act happens, and then the final set piece happens within a mannequin warehouse, Mm -hmm. and you're like, "Who? Why have we not remade this movie?" Yeah, Um, and then the killing, it just takes the good stuff from *Killers Kiss* and makes it better.
1: Mm -hmm. The killing, the killing is—I will say it right now—it is his first masterpiece.
0: Yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna know where the Ocean's movies come from, watch *The Killing*. Hell yeah. It's not funny like the Oceans movies, but no. the structure is very much like the Oceans movies. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, new movie I watched. I saw one new movie in theaters. I saw Bodies, 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 which is a new murder comedy movie put out by A24. I don't want to spoil it, but it does one of my favorite movie horror movie tropes that doesn't happen very often. And it does it well. It wasn't until like two-thirds of the way through the movie I just leaned over to a friend and was like, Oh, this is what's going to happen, right? And they're like, oh, maybe. And it happened. And he's like, how'd you know? I'm like, it's just one of those things when you watch enough horror movies, you kind of pick it up. Um, but then the Tuesday, I was looking, a criterion emailed me, and they're like, hey, stuff is leaving soon. Is there any of this that you want to watch? And I go, let me check. And I found one called Year of the Dragon, starring uh, Mickey Rourke. And it was a oh, gritty... Sh- wait.
1: Wait a minute, Year of the Dragon is on Criterion
0: Collection? Yeah, it's on until the end of the month, so if you want to watch it, you better get on it. What the um, fuck? It's a, it's a gritty, Chinese-noir movie set in New York's Chinatown, right? And it stars Mickey, a young Mickey Rourke, and I'm like, you know what? This feels like my type of movie. Like, if anybody knows me, this is my type of movie. And let me tell you, half of it was my type of movie. <laughs> um, I think my issue is, like, Mickey Rourke's character itself is just not good. Yeah. And if and he's your lead, like he's, he's, he, you can have a racist lead, right? And, and that can work. But mm-hmm. if that's your only motivation to try to snuff out crime is because you're racist. Yeah. It gets frustrating because the people you're working with, you're just being racist to the entire. And it doesn't, he doesn't stop. He nope. never stops. He never changes. He never involves. He just continues until the end of the movie. And that's the frustrating part. Yeah. Um, I think the other frustrating part is... And I and I tweeted about this. and I talked to friends about this. Half the... Like, a third of the movie's dialogue is not translated. And that's frustrating. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Like, definitely. when you're watching...
0: And, like, this is 80s, so, I like, you can give it some leeway. But I think, as a director, if you really want people to get invested in your movie, and you have them speaking another language for a third of it, translate all of that so you know what's going on. It's, it's so audacious, Matthew, that they have someone singing in one of the clubs... And, I, and again, I don't know if it's Chinese or Mandarin. Um, I don't know, like, the dialects, so I can't tell you for sure. Um, but they have someone singing, and it just says singing in Chinese in the, di- in the subtitles. But the most audacious uh, part of it is the the credits. She's singing the same song, and there's no subtitles for the entire credits. Awesome. Why would you do that? I feel like other why movies not? at the time would do stuff like that and have the credits, because you want to know what the theme is, right? You want to know why, what the song means. <laughs>
1: I mean as someone so as someone who is willing to take liberties when they come up with responses to hypothetical questions like this that I have no insight into um, I have some thoughts but I don't think they contribute well to the discussion
0: <laughs> and, I get, and I think maybe like the biggest issue and I haven't seen this movie so I can't tell you how bad it is is this is from the same guy who made the Deer Hunter
1: yeah, Michael Cimino.
0: A, yeah, and that's a Vietnam-based movie, and this is a post-Vietnam. With mm-hmm. the Vietnam vet as the lead, like, maybe he's, he just has a grudge. <laughs> like, maybe as a director, he well, just has a
1: grudge. So, th- so... I know it's also based is,
0: off a novel. I also know that.
1: This is also, for Cimino, this is a weird... This is a weird time for him as a director, because he made The Deer Hunter, and then he was kind of given... A blank check for his next film in Heaven's Gate and that was a flop among flops I mean I really think Heaven's Gate kind of rules but it's also been 15 years since I've seen it so I can't I mean maybe a future episode who knows Um, but also between that in 1980 and this in 1985 like there's a, there's a feasible theory that he could have ran out of money.
0: That too. That's why we got some movies from Coppola. Uh, that we got. I mean, that's why yeah. really Coppola made the movie Jack is because he just didn't have money. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's one. It's just. It's just frustrating. One of those things where like I go into a movie really like this is my jam. I come out of it going. It sucks that I can't really recommend this to anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean I just, it's I, fun. I mean, look at look at the people in play here. Like directed by Michael Cimino, who did a masterpiece in the Deer Hunter. Written by screenplay Oliver by Stone. Oliver Stone. Yeah. Produced by the legendary Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> like and
0: again, Mickey Rourke like puts on a great performance. I just hate his character. mm Hmm. And it's just frustrating, and and like the 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 main two uh, Chinese actors in it are great; they are standout. out. I, w- I I would only recommend it so you can watch them be awesome in it. But yeah. it's just hard. And also, I like I like a gritty noir movie that does the violence, like it has great violence. Mm-hmm. This movie does not hold back. Like things happen to people in this movie. You're like, whoa, wow. Um, and so it's one of those things you're like. It has these things I really love, great soundtrack and stuff like. And then it has the, but the major things are like, this is annoying.
1: Yeah, so no, that's that's it's valid. one of those
0: ones I'm struggling if I actually liked or not. Um, Matthew, what have you been watching?
1: So I I have two things to talk about. Uh, one is I'm just gonna say it's legitimately one of my. If I were to if I were to rank my 100 favorite movies, this would definitely be in the top half. Uh, It is called Two for the Road. It's from 1967. It stars Audrey Hepburn and uh, Albert Finney. And I I, I implore you you, Jesse, and any listeners that may hear this, look at the Criterion channel, the collection called The Swinging Soundtracks of Henry Mancini um not only is there i think i think all of them are bangers <laughs> like but like this charade two for the road arabesque days of wine and roses um this is a great great suite of films to check out and two for the road is is one of those where you're looking at a couple sort of reminiscing about their decade plus time together and figuring out whether or not they regret it but nothing is the film itself doesn't specifically say whether or not the happy ending is there but looking at the way Albert Finney and Audrey Hepburn interact throughout this movie there's never a doubt in my mind that they will be okay and it's 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 one of those like you watch a couple and you're like man these 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 two kind of hate each other but also they're just voicing their concerns they're just they're just having a moment and the ups in the relationship and the downs in the relationship are laid bare yet when other people try and infiltrate that and say well see maybe this is your problem the person who's down doesn't have to stand up because the other one has their back it's fucking amazing I love it so much. Stanley Donnan did a masterful job here. Uh, the other film that I'm going to talk about is probably that in the past few episodes, I've mentioned like my top 10 that aren't on my top 10. Um, and this is one of those. It's called Last Year at Marion Bad. It's directed by Alain Rene. It's from 1961. And it's, in the uh definite major upswing of the french new wave in terms of cinematic history but it is a i'll call i call it a romance very loosely um the it's it there's a there's a trio of characters that this movie centers around and so much of it plays with time and place and chronology and memory and it is one of those it's one of those films that uh and this is probably probably the reason why i've found myself getting into uh the same podcast feeds as a bunch of film bros and i listen to reactions to it and all of them are like it's just so dull. I don't understand why they do this in this film when the right way to do it is this. And and it becomes it becomes me just sort of shouting in my head going you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um not to say that like not to, and and I know that we we've kind of grappled with our own like perceptions and criticisms of movies both like we've talked ourselves through it like you and I have talked through it as friends as well as like say like hey like like i think it was last episode you were like anyone can talk about any film i just don't think i i don't i just don't think i'm this is the type of film that is my bread and butter to talk about you know what i mean
0: yeah like i, th- I don't th- i don't think some films are in my wheelhouse to have a, a good criticism
1: on sure and and i think admitting that is a is a is a huge mature step and so many so many people that i've listened to just reactions on this because i love listening to reactions on on films like one of the reasons why um i want to introduce reba to a lot of my favorites because i'd like to hear her talk about them. yeah and 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 i also recognize that me saying hey this is one of my favorites i'd like you to watch it it's an intimidating thing because like all of a sudden she's sitting here on the other side of it going what if I don't like it? What's he gonna do? And and that valid concern, but also like I I think I'm now. It's easy for me to say this about myself. I recognize that this can be way more intimidating on the other side. I really just want to have the talk about it. I want to talk it through with somebody. Maybe I mean even if she doesn't like it, that probably makes me more happy because at least I can just we can we can we could. You know, parse through it together and have the conversation, rather than I don't necessarily have to change her mind; she doesn't have to change mine. But it's really funny when I find it really funny when um, folks who are interested in film and self-professed film fans and they say, "Well, they did all of this wrong, so there's no way I can like this movie." Yeah, and part of me is like, "Well, maybe." that's the problem like i feel like you're ex- you're 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 forcing your own expectations on something that is deliberately trying to avoid them um and and i'm not here to say that you and i are any better but it's just like sometimes this shit the, the, these shows are just bad <laughs> you know uh and that and 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 that's a that's a very um as someone who listens to all of the podcasts they are on just to yell about their own contributions to it. Like I'll yell about my own problems or the problems I have with what I say on a show. Uh, cause I spend more time listening to the podcast. I'm going, going Matt, you're a fucking idiot. Why did you say that? Or whatever. Just to be, you know, because that's for the therapist couch. It's not for you, Jesse. Um, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, I I find it very frustrating that I find it really frustrating the way others interact with media and how they like there's a tunnel and if it doesn't fit within that tunnel it's it's a miss I'm like I just, I just don't get that there's I just I just don't understand it and that's definitely more me than anybody putting on a a film criticism podcast um but uh last year at marion bad is one of those films that it the way that it does everything that i said it does in terms of playing with time appearing like a dream and um playing with point of view and especially memory yeah and it's and and going with my sort of transformation of thought on the matrix when we had matt on the show uh, dj stormageddon I actually feel like this film might actually be more science fiction <laughs> than than anything. But that also could be just what I've been exposing myself to as well. But hopefully I'm able to convince you at, at one point to watch that. But we need to have some lighter fare before we go there.
0: Yeah, totally. I think, I think we'll get there. Um, okay. So that being said... You can find this show on Twitter at Free It and you can email us, uh, same name, but at gmail.com at the end of it. If yeah. you have any suggestions or comments or you want to be on the show, we'd like having guests. Or if
1: you want, to, you want to say, hey, I want you guys to watch this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or if you just want to replace us for one episode, maybe. Uh, honestly, Matthew's irreplaceable, though.
1: That's not true. That's you not go- true at all.
0: You can find me on Twitter at sleeper of the bed. I promise I'm working on stuff. It's just been one of those weeks. Um, Matthew, where can people find you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at totally replaceable. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm at infinite underscore rewind on Twitter uh, as well as Instagram. I also am lucky enough to co-host a few other podcasts where my friends allow me to just. I think my friends allow me to annoy them, but they just don't tell me about it. Um, Jesse's and my mutual friend Caroline and I do a podcast about making playlists that take us from a negative mood to a positive one. It's called Trivial Merit. You can find that on Twitter, at Trivial Merit. Also, I hope, I don't know when this is going to end, but Caroline, follow her at atoriat A E T A T a u r e a t e she's putting on a bundle of adult content games i think it's 17 uh, adult games and um it's a bundle for abortion access uh it's all on itch.io support that it's a cause that I believe in. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume Jesse believes in it as well. Yes, but but Caroline and I are definitely well. Since you just said yes, all three of us are on the same spot. Support abortion abortion access for the people who need it. Um, and then I am also lucky enough to be part of the Bald Gun Guy podcast. Scanline Media, uh, scanlinemedia.com. Uh, at gun guy pod on twitter we go we are playing the modern hitman trilogy we just released our episode on woodleton creek which is basically going through suburbia and finding everybody in suburbia is a criminal except for a cowardly man at a grill um and lastly i have a podcast called story route zero where three friends and i talk about video games you can find that on twitter at story route zero
0: and Matthew who does our theme song
1: my buddy Jason he is on Spotify as Deadeye that's D-E-A-D dash the letter I all caps when he spell the man's name it's a song from his album called Bloodshed Kingdom it's a great album you should listen to it came out earlier this year I love it but I am one person he was also part of a reggae duo called the Hope Street Steppers that released one of my favorite instrumental reggae albums ever in black lightning came out in 2013 um all of the songs are like music and movie references so it kind of falls in line with what we do here and he's one of my bestest buds so uh i think he's really talented but we could also argue that i'm biased so check him out and and prove me right please uh so yeah that's that's my buddy jason He's a nurse. Uh,
0: This just end, I'm going to sue Martin Scorsese for false advertising. Because for a movie called The Last Waltz, this band never danced.